Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. One of the requirements for seminary was moving through not only John Wesley's sermons, but also his diary. Diary. His diary is very long, covers almost eight volumes of books. <laughs> and because it's the King's English, it can be difficult to understand. Um, but we got through it. But as I was thinking about today in the second rule, doing good, I came across part of his diary that said, there is scarce any possible way of doing good for which here is not a daily occasion. Here are poor families to be relieved. Here are children to be educated. Here are workhouses wherein both young and old gladly receive the word of exhortation. Here are the prisons and therein a complication of all human woes. Just when you thought last week after we began this series, you heard the whole idea of doing no harm to anyone or anything or dismantling systems that do, and you're thinking, okay, we could do this. Along comes do good. Hard to deny the simplicity of the gospel message from Jesus, and I think it's also hard to deny the simplicity of doing no harm and now the simplicity of doing good. You might remember, and they still do it, the manufacturer of Nike has that, that tagline, just do it. And the question for us maybe is, is that what John Wesley meant? Just do it. Just do good. Go out and do it. Maybe the question we often have is, okay, just do what exactly? Sometimes good is, is pretty obvious. The needs are there. We can meet the needs. But we have to make sure in doing good, we are also not doing harm. I mean, I don't want this to sound like a burdensome task to develop the idea of doing no harm and, and doing good. We have to talk about it. But we have to find ways of incorporating it into our daily lives, which doesn't always seem the easiest to do. We need to remind ourselves, too, that while I'm preaching about the three rules from John Wesley, it wasn't coming directly from him. Jesus was pretty clear about all of this. He said the choice that you were going to make would be a difficult one, especially when you're following him. Jesus said, but I say to you who are listening, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. To do good is as big a challenge as doing no harm. So what does it mean for us to do good? Where do we even begin? I mean, is this simple set of words so difficult for us? What does doing good look like in our divided and hostile and wounded world when we think about what happened in, in Berwick and in Nescopec and in other places around our area? What does doing good look like? Maybe Paul's words from Romans could be a guide for us as, as well as from 1 Thessalonians. Romans 12 sounds like a rally cry for the faithful who are having trouble developing ways to do good. He says, let your love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Pursue hospitality to strangers. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When situations like what happened last night happen, we often want to repay evil with evil. We want to do something. We don't want to do good. We're angry. We're frustrated. But what Paul is saying, and as John Wesley says as well, doing good isn't about how most people live in their lives. We want to do good, but let's be honest. Sometimes we don't live that way. Our society and our world run by different sets of rules. I mean, how many times has something happened to you and you thought, you know what, I'll get them. I'll get them back. You don't know when, you don't know where, you don't know how, but I'll get them. They'll be sorry. I mean, we're like that, that evil person plotting with our hands rubbing together, thinking of ways to repay the evil done to you that that person did to you. We've been shaped that way by the world around us. We want to get even, maybe even push karma along a little bit, right? But listen to these other words from Wesley. This commandment is written in his heart, that he who loves God loves his brother also. He accordingly loves his neighbor as himself. He loves every man as his own soul. His heart is full of love to all mankind, to every child of the Father of the spirits of all flesh. That a man is not personally known to him is no bar to his love. No, nor that he is known to be such as he approves, not that he repays hatred for his goodwill. For he loves his enemies and the enemies of God, the evil and the unthankful. And if it be not in his power to do good to them that hate him, yet he ceases not to pray for them. If somebody's hating you and you don't feel you can do good, you pray. You pray for them and pray for yourself, Wesley's saying. But both the words from Jesus and Paul and, and Wesley are very clear. All of this is a universal command. Do good. Wesley makes it clear it's not limited to those who look like me or who like me. Doing good is to be directed to all people. Even those we see as unworthy of any acts of doing good by us or others to them. Doing good like doing no harm is proactive. We are to be doing it all the time, not just thinking about it. We don't need to wait to be asked to do good, to provide some help. We don't need to wait until circumstances are just right to relieve suffering, to correct some injustice we are seeing. We can decide right here and right now that the way of living will come down on the side of good, good to all, everywhere, in every way that we can. We can decide that we will choose a way of living that nourishes the good around us and strengthens our community in which we live. You know, I'll be the first to admit that there are many obstacles in our way to do that. 
the biggest obstacle we have would be the refusal to give up control. We want to control everything in our lives. It's like going to the doctor this past week. I didn't want to do that at all because I had an idea what was coming. And now I'm in the club with a blood thinner. That's not where I want to be. I wanted to control this and I couldn't. We want to do that in every aspect of our lives. That's why doing all the good that you can scares the living you-know-what out of us. Because we have to give up that control. We can see the needs of the world, our community, the church, our family. We, we see ourselves as having so many responsibilities and commitments, almost too many. So instead of doing good to everyone, we withdraw and only do it to the good to the people around us. We're also worried about being rejected by doing good. What if I do all of this and I get rejected for all my efforts? They make fun of me. What if I, I do this and they say, oh, you're one of those Christians. You're just weak. What if I help someone and then they do something with what I've given them that I object to? The fact is our gifts of goodness will be rejected. They will be ridiculed. They will be misused. But we are not to do good in order to gain a position, to gain accolades, a pat on the back, or based on the thoughts and reactions of the people we're doing it to. We should desire to do good out of a response of God's invitation to us to follow Christ. That is what's in our control. So we decide to do good even to those who disagree with us. Even when they turn away from us, we will continue to do what is right and what is good, and by doing that, that is in our control. Regardless of what the reaction is or people try to diminish us in our faith, we still do it. And if you're thinking about a reward for doing the good, the reward is we know we did what was right and we did what was pleasing to God. John Wesley was frequently examining his own life on the basis of these three simple rules and he wrote in his journal, this, however, with a sentence in the evening lesson, put me upon considering my own state more deeply. And what then occurred to me was as follows. His judgment concerning holiness is new. He no longer judges it to be an outward thing to consist either in doing no harm and doing good or in using the ordinances of God. He sees it as the life of God in the soul, the image of God first stamped on the heart, and the entire renewal of the mind and every temper and every thought after the likeness of him. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was struck in reading that, the phrase, the image of God first stamped on the heart. When you've seen me do baptisms here, one of the things I do is I take oil and I anoint each one being baptized and I make the sign of the cross on the forehead and I said, with this oil I mark you and make the sign of the cross and you are marked as Christ's own forever. The image of that on the forehead or the image of God first stamped on the heart is God's own way of saying, you are mine. You belong to me. I belong to you. And through what you're doing, this call on your life is the ultimate reward of faithfulness to have that stamp on our heart. And it will certainly lead us to the decision to do all the good that we can to all the people we can wherever we can.
the reason for doing that good for John Wesley was also connected to his understanding of grace. How God's grace was always reaching out to us, calling us to turn back. And then his justifying grace helping make us whole and righteous. And then God's sanctifying grace, which continues throughout someone's life, working to make them whole. God's grace. God's grace is the reason we do good, not for anything else. It's not about salvation. It is a response to God's love and grace to us. The response of a faithful disciple is love of God and neighbor. Doing good is actively loving people, no matter who they are or what they've done, whether it's to you or to somebody else. Paul tells us to let our love be genuine. Don't fake it. Make it real. Make it sincere. Put your whole self into it. Paul tells us, hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. We do that because of the love that's been shown to us by God. We honor and respect one another. We're to be patient and loving and kind, not judgmental, not seeking revenge. And Paul also reminds us the real work of the church isn't in here or out there. It's how we treat other people. It's how we welcome them. It's how we include them. When people experience that, when they experience our hospitality, inside, outside, wherever they meet us, they'll feel that. They'll experience it. And that draws them in to ask the question, why Why are you doing this for me? Why are you doing this good for me? Paul's also clear that stuff happens. We will get hurt. Being in mission and ministry is not an easy thing, and sometimes doing good will cost you. The promise from God and Jesus has never been, don't worry, just do it. Don't, don't even worry about getting hurt. You won't get hurt. No one said this would be easy. No one said you wouldn't get hurt. Only that it would be worth it. Doing good is not about us, nor is it about the other person. It's about doing good for its own sake, to love God, to love our neighbor as ourself. And by doing those things, it doesn't mean we deny ourselves or devalue ourselves in doing that. We need to take appropriate care of ourselves in order that we might give of ourselves. You can't give from an empty well. You can't give from an empty well. You have to take care of yourself in order to take care of other people to do good. Does that make sense? Not too long ago, I had a conversation with someone about something called compassion fatigue, which I had never heard of, but it made sense to me. Compassion fatigue comes from helping other people doing good. You want to continue to keep helping and continue to keep helping and helping and helping, but you're overwhelmed because the more and more you help, the more you're exposed to the trauma and the difficulty of the other person. Like burnout, compassion fatigue is also a process. It takes time to develop. You don't know it right away until you're in it. It builds slowly to a point where you start to say, you know what, I don't care about me or others in my life. Living these first two rules of doing no harm and doing good, living in this new way, we have to remember to take care of ourselves. 
this new way doesn't suggest that you shouldn't. In order to give to others, you need to care for yourself. And when we see uh, ourselves as the apple of God's eye, we can be better able to, to make the difference and understand what it means to deny ourselves on one hand and to care for ourselves on the other. And by doing that, then we can begin on a greater path of trusting God through Christ, an even greater capacity to live fully and love fully and live faithfully. As you go through your week this week, last week I talked about you know, writing down three things you would never do. This week I want you to take time to jot down ten things, ten ways you are right now doing good. Ten ways that you're doing good. And as you look at that list and you pray over it and think about it a little bit, think about what do these ten things of doing good tell and share and mean to me? What do they tell people about me if I were to share the list? Which one of those things on the list would involve just you doing it? Which one of those things on the list involve you and a group of other people doing it? And which one of those things doesn't involve you at all but still is doing good? As we consider rule one and two, doing no harm and doing good, and you think about it, John Wesley had a word for people who did one and two and not three. He called them the almost Christian. And rule number three, what we'll go through next week, is staying in love with God. Wesley believed it was possible to do one and two, doing no harm and doing good, and still not believe in Jesus. But that third rule, staying in love with God, made it even more possible to change the world. We practice the rules, but God gives us the power through the Holy Spirit in order that we keep them. We practice those rules, but God transforms us. God's the one that renews us. God's the one that builds the house of our lives, the, the house of our church, the house of this world. Doing good may sound easy, but it's not. Sometimes it seems simple, but other times it's complex. But as you go about your week this week looking at those 10 things, is there something on there that's kind of simple that you want to do something a little bit more so you drop it from the list? If you're up over 20 or 30, I would suggest taking a look at taking care of yourself. Please take care of yourself as you're doing good. Please take care of yourself as you're doing good. Think about it again. What can I do? that I'm not already doing, but I have to give up something so I can do even more good than I'm already doing. Think about those 10 things. Pray about them this week. Amen. And while it's not in the bulletin, and we know what we believe...